Help support your local businesses. Whether they're your corner stores, coffee spots, or favorite shops, local businesses have always been on your team, supporting you and your community. They remember your order, they call you by name, always giving back, making a difference, and going that extra mile. But right now, more than ever, local businesses need our support. So let's be there for them. Help your team score and choose to shop at local businesses. And while you're there, look for the contactless symbol and tap to pay with the contactless visa to help support your community. Because where and how you shop matters. Visa, everywhere you want to be. Official partner of the NFL. You know what it looks like to me? It looks like you forgot to separate your whites and your colors. And that was the result. Like a mistake. It looks like a mistake. Okay, let's get away from from like whether or not you think it looks good. Caden, our hotshot producer, my buddy, throw up the chart from Adrian that clearly shows that they win more games in seafoam pants. Clearly shows it right there. Clearly shows that they're more successful. Why not hitch your wagon to that? Everybody's so superstitious. Everybody thinks what you wear matters. So why don't you double down on what already wins you games? It's just simple math, people, and I'm not even good at math. It's actually insane that you're buying into this theory, not to mention, love the data. But they wear their seafoam green pants more often than not. Like, of course they win in them more. Of course they win in them more, David. The only thing else I got to say is, how about them Cowboys? How about them Cowboys, indeed. The Cowboys are looking to avoid starting 0-2 as they host the Atlanta Falcons. On Sunday, we'll dive into injury issues at linebacker, our preview of the game, and of course, predictions. Welcome into About Them Cowboys on The Athletic. I'm Kent Garrison producing and letting you know about a great deal we've got over at theathletic.com slash aboutthemcowboys, where you can access The Athletic for a dollar a month for 12 months. Yes, a dollar a month. This offer will not last long, so you need to cash it in now. Get access to The Athletic for a dollar a month at theathletic.com slash aboutthemcowboys. But we've got a ton to get into. So I'm welcoming in first. She's returning to the show and is hosting a new show on Cowboys Media Platforms. It's called The Star at Night. Welcome back, Kelsey Charles. Hey, Kelsey. Hello. Thanks for having me. It's uh, it's good to see you back on um, my Twitter feed again when it comes to the video stuff. It's uh, It's been a while, but you're back in the game. It's awesome. Like, hey, listen, once you start, like, I, I just came in full force this year. Like, why not? It's, it's, yeah. a, it's a little, it's a vintage, a throwback, if you will. We're bringing it back. Exactly. Exactly. It's good. Good to have you back on uh, Cowboys.com. Make sure you're checking out what she's got going on over there. And back, as always, the ambiguously amazing duo of Father John Machete and Kevin K.T. Turner. Hey, guys. How we doing? Let's. Discuss the Falcons, shall we? Absolutely. I didn't know where you were going to go there. Father um, John Machete. That's great. All right. So, John, well, you're the guy who's out there every day um, if, wondering the layers of the star, finding the secret underground basements, looking for all the hidden information. Obviously, we had the Sean Lee surgery on the sports harney. I feel bad for that poor guy. Um, what's the latest uh, on the Cowboys injuries? Obviously some things have trickled out throughout the week, but how soon do you think we could expect Sean Lee back, Leighton Vanderesh back and, uh, and anything else that you want to hit injury wise? Yeah. So the latest is basically that, 
Uh, the Cowboys no longer have any linebackers. And if there's anybody out there that thinks that they could play linebacker, even at a high school level, they're going to have tryouts this week. You just come to the star. Don't have to bring any helmets or anything. They'll provide all that for you. Um, no, they're, yeah, it's, it's not, it's not great. It's not great. I mean, I will, I've always been a guy that said that, you know, linebacker, I think is the probably, I would say the da- most dangerous position just because you're involved in serious collisions on almost every play. And so you expect injuries to be there, but you don't expect this many to happen this early in the season. This goes back to the very first day that we got to see training camp practice and, you know, not everybody's out on the field and we see Sean Lee's on the resistance cords. Now, sometimes guys do that just to warm up and then he just kind of stayed there all practice. And I was like, is this just precautionary thing or is this like legit? Does he have an injury? And then the next day, same thing. And then the next day, the same thing. And the next day, the same thing. And so you're just like, oh, maybe he's dealing with something. And uh, then we find out he has a sports hernia and, and they're like, all right, well, we're going to put him on a three week IR, come back in three weeks, be good to go. Uh, and then it, it didn't get better. So then it turned to the surgery. So that keeps him out six weeks. And hey, let's be honest. I mean, even when you sit there and say six weeks, so when he comes back, does that mean all of a sudden he's going to be 100%? You don't know that. I mean, he's dealt with as many injuries as anybody. Um, and I feel for the guy because I don't think there's anybody that works harder or tries harder to stay healthy uh, than he does, but it just hasn't been in the cards for him. And then you look at a guy like Leighton Van Der Esch and everybody looks at that as like, oh, is this going to be Sean Lee part two? Because... He has a neck injury where all of a sudden he can't play at the end of last season. It cuts his season short. And then the very first game in, he doesn't even make it throughout the first half. And he's already got a, 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 now this is a clavicle thing. And I know everybody was thinking it was neck because when they showed him on the sidelines and they showed the doctors like moving his neck around and stuff like that, it was like, is this really like, is this about to go down? Like, is he about to have another neck issue? And so, uh, I don't know. Like they showed, they took him back to get an x-ray and that's when they found out he had a broken clavicle. So then he's out. And then again, it's the same thing as with Sean Lee. You don't know when he comes back from that that he's going to be fine. Like, oh, yeah, well, he'll be out for six weeks. And then when he comes back, pencil him in for the rest of the season. You don't know that. So it they can't just sit there and rely on what might be there in six or seven weeks. And so right now we're looking at Jalen Smith and Joe Thomas. And I think they would be fine if you told me all those both those guys are going to play all 16 games. But like I said, it's a dangerous position. There's going to be injuries there. And so... I don't know what's really out there for them to get waiver wire wise. I know people talk about like Clay Matthews. I don't think that's the answer. So maybe it's something where their hands force and they have to maybe trade a mid late round pick for somebody on another team. I don't know. But right now linebacker is just extremely thin on this team. So if Luke Gifford is going to be the truth, now would be the time to find that out, you know, because you could be looking at playing like a Francis Bernard down the stretch, a Justin March. Who, hey, nothing against Justin March, really good special teams player. He's not a guy you really want to be on the field playing, you know, 60 snaps for you on, on defense. Well, I was going to ask about the Clay Matthews thing. I kept seeing that. And isn't he more of a, an edge rusher? Like, I feel like he's not quite the exact replacement role that this team might be looking for. And in terms of the Francis Bernard, I actually got a chance to chat with Coach Kyle Whittingham this week um, on our show over on DallasCowboys.com. And, and I asked him this question. I was like, hey, listen, you know, this is a guy who – Unfortunately or fortunately, however you want to look at it, he might have a chance to step up. Um, and both he and Bradley and I have played an odd and even front, so I think this is something that is is feasible for them. I don't know if this coaching staff thinks that he's quite ready to make the jump from maybe just fitting in as a special teams player to really truly being a puzzle piece that could help uh, fill this interim gap while we have these key players out through potentially October. 
Yeah, you know, Francis Bernard's interesting because he was like an older guy. I mean, he's he's 25 years old right now. And again, that doesn't uh, necessarily mean that you're ready to step in any faster, but he does feel like he's got a little more experience uh, playing all those years at Utah. And that's a great guest to have and in, in, uh, coach right there with, with the eye, as you mentioned as well. Um, you, know, you know, one thing that I, that I would say, you know, the Clay Matthews thing I, I thought was weird because you're right. He is more of an edge rusher. That might just be people on Twitter throwing out names. I mean, look, I'm guilty of, you know, once you find out Blake Jarwin's heard of going, uh, who wants to bring Delaney Walker back in here? <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, look, I think my, people my, just my, make the Green Bay connection with Clay Matthews, too. Yeah. And, and look, honestly, Clay Matthews has a little bit of juice left. And if, uh, you know, maybe if Alden Smith got hurt or something, I might be interested in bringing, you know, Clay Matthews in here a little bit. But, you know, I, I'm more concerned about safety. I'm I'm really concerned about tight end now that Jarwin's gone. I mean, we saw what happens. We we got in two quarters. We saw what happens when Blake Jarwin's not in there because the replacement level is just not going to be good enough. It's just not. Maybe Schultz might be a little better blocker than, you know, what Delaney Walker has at 36. I couldn't help but think all the crazy irony from that game Sunday night in which, you know, you're thinking it's a new – a brand of Cowboys football, but all the same things from last year seem to kind of happen. And then they throw up, it was kind of cheap. They throw up that cheap graphic on NBC of Jason Witten holding his helmet. And they're like one catch for two yards. <laughs> you know, you know, my buddy, uh, Ben Rogers on the Ben and skin show is, a is a big fan of like uh Cowboys past. Like he would, he'll be the first to tell you that he loves him some Romo and some Des Bryant. He was like, KT, what would it take to get Jason Witten in here? And is he better than Dalton Schultz? And, uh, John, I would ask you that. I think Witten actually would be better than Dalton Schultz. And what would it take to get Witten in here? It sounds insane. <laughs> no, 100, It sounds insane. 100%. But Dalton Schultz can't play. Jason Witten better than Dalton Sch- Have you seen Dalton Schultz? 100% I mean, this he's guy better than Dalton Schultz. Can't be stopped out there. I mean, he's just like... <laughs> Okay, here's the, problem with Dalton, here's the problem with Dalton Schultz, and we've seen this throughout training camp, is that you can't really count on him to, to make a catch in a big situation. Like, he's fine as a blocker, but, like, you can't – like, I was surprised when he made that third down catch across the middle because then obviously you've seen others in the game where you just can't rely on his hands like that. Like, he's a good, solid blocker, and he fits into the way McCarthy doesn't want to have your typical fullback, and so he can play some of that role and, and help out as a blocker. But, like, as a pass catcher, no. That's – that's, I'm just going to go back to this. That 2018 draft, and I don't know that they would have done this, but they needed Dallas Goddard. And when Goddard went one pick before them and they took Connor Williams, and they might have still taken Connor Williams anyway, but I just feel like that they were like kind of neglecting the, the tight end position in the draft. I know they drafted Schultz, but like there really hasn't been any significant investments in there since uh, uh, who's our guy from San Diego State? That they took in the second round. Gavin Escobar? Gavin Escobar, yeah. And I just feel like, and, and why, the only reason I'm bringing this up is because the way things are going right now, like I think tight end needs to be one of the positions that they target relatively early in this next draft because and it's not it's not anything against Blake Jarwin. It's just we're seeing the game changing. Like you need more of these pass-catching tight ends, and there's more of them available in college because that's what you know teams are turning towards. So it, it, this is, I don't know, it's tough because – I can I understand where you're coming from, KT, on the Delaney Walker thing. First of all, it's just fun to do that to just see who's out there and who could be a possibility. Um, 
But we saw that last year too. There's and, nobody out there. Right. No, I know that. But I mean, that was kind of like last year with uh, uh, the linebacker they brought him from Seattle, the old Seattle linebacker Malcolm Smith. You know, the old Super Bowl MVP because it was a yeah. fit for Richard's defense, and he was okay. You know, but it wasn't like. Basically, what I'm saying is these guys that are on the street right there now, they're there for a reason. Like, there's not anybody you're really going to call in here. It's going to be a significant upgrade. But, no, they would be much better off right now if they had uh, Jason Witten still on the roster, of course. So let me ask you guys this. If there aren't guys on the street that really could come in and make a lot of sense for this team and aren't true upgrades from what we have on the roster right now, also keeping in mind the fact that I do personally feel like, you know, despite maybe what I other people think that the COVID protocols can definitely impact the immediacy of availability of a guy coming off of the street. Do you feel like the interim solution is for them to just to kind of change around their personnel packages and in, in, in the schemes that they're that they're putting out there and the looks they're putting out there on the offensive side of the ball? I mean, yeah, but the thing is that they just really were preparing to be in this 11 personnel all the time and and i mean jarwin isn't the greatest of blockers but you still need another guy in there that can block so i mean do i i do think that this opens the door for tony pollard to possibly play some more and then to do more two back sets i mean they're gonna obviously have to adjust because there just isn't the guys on the roster to keep running the exact same 11 personnel i don't know how you can just keep going out there and saying hey we're just putting in blake bell for for Blake Jarwin or we're putting in Schultz for Jarwin or Sean McEwen, like, I don't see how that's going to work that way. Um, so no, I, I honestly, I have, I have no idea what they're about to do there because they, they need help. You can't just put another wide receiver running back out there and say, all right, it's fixed. We'll just play this way. I mean, they need a, a tight end like that, especially cause like I said, like not being as much in two tight end sense, like they were in before not having the fullback like they had before. Like there are as much as I know, everybody hates them running the football. You still need tight ends to run the football. You know, I, I was a fan of Kellen Moore getting another chance to run the offense. Uh, we're going to learn a lot about Kellen Moore over the next few weeks and how he adjusts uh, not only with the offensive line situation going on, but what they have to do with Jarwin out and not having a playmaking tight end. Because whatever you want to say, and I understand that Jarwin's not like some guy who's proven a ton in this league, he was seen as a playmaking threat. And you saw it in the one pass he caught this year. You saw his ability to run a good route, get open, catch the ball, and a little bit of traffic. And they don't have that now. Um, and maybe Dalton Schultz after one game, maybe he gets in there and um, he's ready to go and um, he's uh, got his video game fingers ready to catch some passes. Uh, he's a big esports guy for those uh, for those of you that Will he be know. broadcasting it on Twitch, you think? Likely. <laughs> uh, I've never seen I've never seen Dak more mad than that pass where I and mean, Dalton got sandwiched, but where the ball hit Dalton Schultz right in the hands, a perfect pass, and Dalton got hit. But I've never seen Dak look that mad after a, after a play. Like I mean, Dak's face was like, "Well, this is a lost cause. He can't catch." And I was like, "Oh no!" Because now Dalton Schultz, you know, coming out of college, I was like, "This is a solid backup tight end guy who could come in and maybe block for you." Well, this you don't is a thing. Your primary guy. I, I always you remember. You went to tight end you, man. Yeah, but Stanford. I remember tight end you. Yeah, and I remember watching his tape after they drafted him, and you look, and and he was mostly a blocking tight end, and he had a few touchdowns. So I'm like, oh, I'll take a look at how he scored his touchdowns, and how he scored literally every touchdown are those plays that you see in college all the time where it's like you're on the one or two yard line and everybody sells out on the run. It's everybody's tight on the line, no wide receivers, two tight ends, and everybody sells out on the run. And then the one tight end sneaks out who 
obviously they don't ever think of as a pass catcher. And then so he's just wide open. It's that one where you could like underhand throw the ball to him because he's just like nobody's around. So he was, I mean, Stanford is is obviously a good football school and they have had their success with tight ends, but he was not a pass catching type tight end when he was there. They loved him because he did the little things. He could kind of block a little bit. Maybe he could catch a little bit, you know, like that's why they let Caden Miller, who ironically Garrett has in, uh, with the Giants right now, and he got some shine on Monday Night Football. But uh, that's a, it's weird that like Sean Lee and Leighton Vanderesh could go out, and I and I think a lot of people's biggest concerns what's going on with the offense. You know, watching that game the other night, the defense, you know, it was ugly, you know, early on. But in the end, if you're going to tell me that uh, we're talking about 20 points, hey, we can live with that. <laughs> you know, if you find a way to get there, we can live with that. We can't live with the offense scoring 17 points. So. Let's uh let's take a look at the Falcons uh, just for a minute and kind of get a good look at them. They got wiped out by the Seahawks, thirty-eight to twenty-five, on Sunday, and this was a game that was really not very close. Um, the Falcons only had twelve points through three quarters. They had one of the more interesting stat lines I've ever seen in my life: three wide receivers with nine catches each and one hundred yards apiece, and Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley, and Russell Gage. And they also have a tight end, Hayden Hurst, who had three catches for 38 yards. He was a former first-round pick from Baltimore. And I immediately am a little bit concerned about the Cowboys stopping their passing attack because it was a lot of garbage points against Seattle. But, man, they they found a way to get 450 yards through the air. And we talk about covering tight ends is a problem. And coverage in general is a problem. I guess it's a good thing that Jordan Lewis is back, but – the Falcons are going to be a no easy test in terms of what they can do uh, through the air. Is it just me or w- I kind of felt the same way KT would looking at this, at these stat lines. Um, I, I honestly, I feel like these teams have a few decent similarities. If we're really being honest in terms of the issues that they're dealing with in the secondary, you know, they've got some weirdness on the O-line right now. They're trying to work through. They've got, you know, a, a three guys who are, able to get a hundred yards in a game. They've got a, they've got a running game now. So they're more of a complete offense. I think their offensive coordinator is trying to figure out quite how to use Todd Gurley still, if you will. But um, I look at a guy, you know, honestly, we know Julio Jones is amazing, but I think a guy like Calvin Ridley, he could easily go to another team and be your ex receiver like, like that. And, and so, yeah, I, um, Paired with the tight end situation as well, I too am concerned on how this Cowboys defense, especially as maimed as they are going into just week two, is going to handle uh, the offensive threat that the Falcons can can bring to the table, if you will. So in, in previous seasons, with Rod Marinelli getting the majority of his pressure from his front four, um, these were typically the, the quarterbacks you'd love to go against. These are the ones that, you know, these would be the guys that, that you, you could catch to Marcus Lawrence maybe saying something flagrant that'll make a headline because he loves the pocket passers. I mean, they loved keeping everybody inside, inside the, the well is what they would call it. And so I had that feeling going into the season and I thought that's why they'd have success against Jared Goff. And then he does this quick game and get the ball out of his hand so fast that they never really get in many of those, you know, third and long situations. That's where this defense is going to be at its best. So they have to figure out first and second down. If they can get to third and long, I think they're going to be fine because in those situations, and we saw that's the play that Alden Smith got the sack on. 
is that they had third and 10 and he would, they were able to move Alden Smith to the inside. He played next to Tyrone Crawford. And then you have Lawrence on, at left end and you had Everson Griffin on right. And, and, and they were able to, to really cause a lot of problems there for golf in that play. And that's the strength of this defense. And it, will grow as a strength if those guys stay healthy and then you add Randy Gregory to the mix because that's when you get your best pass rushers out there and their and their pass rushers are their are their greatest strength in this defense. But if you're just getting this quick game and you're getting into like, you know, second and threes or or third and threes, like that's not a great situation for the way this defense is set up. If they can get Matt Ryan into third and long situation and I, I have tons of respect for Matt Ryan, one of the best quarterbacks in the league. But if they can get him into third and long situations, that's where this defense can can have its success. If they allow him to have success in first and second down, it's going to look exactly like it did Sunday night. You know, and the Falcons offensive line is not uh, one of the better offensive lines in this league right now. They've they've invested pretty heavily in it years ago with Jake Matthews. Well, hold on, let me cut you off real quick, KT. What did you think yeah. of uh, the Rams offensive line? Did you think that they were going to be as good as they were? I knew they had done a lot of work to patch it up, but, you know, I, I thought the Cowboys would have more than one sack in that game, to be honest. Man, the Rams had a great game plan. The Rams had a great game plan, and I think part of the reason I think the Cowboys did have uh, – the Cowboys really weren't trying to – like uh, the Cowboys' game plan I thought was going to be kind of like the Rams was, to get rid of the ball a little bit faster. And You know, so the Cowboys didn't get a chance to take a lot of shots down the field because Terrence Steele was playing. It's going to be like that way this week probably as well. We'll talk about the Falcons' defense in a minute. But you look at their right guard and right tackle, two guys they drafted in 2019, and uh, Chris Lindstrom and uh, Caleb McGarry, the guy from Washington. All my draft names, they it's amazing. You put 300 names in your head a year, and then you can't remember them. They start falling out of your head. But, like, yeah, I still think the Cowboys, the Cowboys are going to be able to get pressure on Matt Ryan a little bit, more than they were against the Rams. The Falcons aren't going to be as – you know, nuanced and uh, with their play action and things like that. Now, uh, Gurley, um, a little fresh. They're going to run Brian Hill out there and Edo Smith, you know, some other guys. And when those guys are in the games, they're looking to throw to those guys as well. Um, but, you know, Hayden Hurst is the guy that bothers me the most is covering the tight end. Like, you know, Julio Jones is going to get his. Uh, um, man, Hayden, I don't know who the Cowboys have who can cover a tight end. Jalen, I, I rewatched that game last night. Um, man, Jalen can't stop. That's my biggest issue. Jalen cannot plant his foot, and I don't know if that's related to the knee. I do not know, but it, I, I just don't know. He's running past plays if it's straight line and he's blitzing the quarterback, or it's straight line and he's coming downhill to come ta- uh, to, to tackle the running back, he's fine. But when he's got to run and change directions and pivot. He just doesn't look like a guy who's in his fourth year, you know. He he just doesn't look like a, a guy who's, you know, kind of in the what should be the prime of his career. It's very concerning, and I don't know if it stood out to me. I mean, obviously, it's not a lot stood out on defense on on Sunday night. I mean, after watching that last night, I was like, man, what is going on here? And I think it might have been a little more concerning because I was kind of watching him closer because Vanderesh is out and they need Jalen to pick up the slack, but. Uh, we'll see how they, you know, w- want to use their safeties or however to cover the tight end as well. I and mean, one thing Seattle did, they used Jamal Adams. After they traded for Jamal Adams, they used Jamal Adams, and he was all over the place. I mean, he was the best player in that game, quite frankly. I mean, he, he wrecked havoc. He does what he does, of course. Um, but, he, you know, he was blitzing, and he was 
playing up in the box and he was playing deep and they were disguising him. And quite frankly, they looked like Seattle looked like they were playing with their new toy on Christmas morning, you know, and using him like that. So, you know, I don't know if the Cowboys have that player. Maybe, maybe uh, Alden Smith can be that guy, or maybe Jalen Smith can be that guy when he's blitzing and things like that. But I, yeah, that's that, that was a big difference in that game, quite frankly. Russell Wilson was awesome, of course, but like that game was about Jamal Adams wrecking the, the Falcons offense for the first three quarters. Let me ask you guys this. I think there was a lot made this week about the lack of um, creativity that we saw from the Dallas offensive coordinator's play calling perspective. And pre-snap motion was something that was brought up a ton this week. And a lot of people are concerned about the lack of the Cowboys' use of that. And obviously ESPN Analytics has all these things coming out of here about the increase in percentage of points and whatever, all of that. Well, turns out the Falcons are even worse off in that in that game. Uh, they're ranked 31st for, out of 32nd. And it seems as though is Dirk Cutter's maybe even less creative and more vanilla than um, what we've been seeing on the Cowboys' coordinator position are you guys thinking that's again another place that the Cowboys can take advantage of or what are your thoughts on on kind of those stat lines and how that could potentially play out yeah I mean I think that's interesting about the Dirk Cutter thing because I watched his interview that he did yesterday with their uh, media and they were asking about analytics and things like that and he brought up a good point because I guess I think they went for it on fourth down three times and they didn't get it and he was talking he was talking about how like He's like, you got like people don't realize that analytics play out like over an entire 16 game season. So just because you go for it three times and four down doesn't mean that you're going to get it all in those games. But over a course of a season it should pan out. So it made me think of, you know, how much Mike McCarthy was getting killed for going for it on fourth down. I'm sure he feels the same way. But um, yeah, that is an interesting point. Um, I'll just say it from the Cowboys perspective, speaking on their offense. It didn't surprise me that they were like that for the first game. I mean, Mike McCarthy didn't come out and just blatantly say it, but he gave hints that like they were going to be pretty conservative early on because of not having preseason games, having a new, you know, coaching staff in there that there wasn't going to be a lot of trick plays or anything like that. They were going to kind of keep it kind of basic. Um, so that basically so that they didn't beat themselves. Now in doing that, now they didn't turn the ball over, so that's one plus, but uh, yeah, there was a lack of creativity, but I just don't think that you should look at the first game and think like, this is how it's going to be for them, you know, throughout the entire season. So, um, you would think that it opens up more in this game. First home game, they've had, a, a, you know, an entire game at least to look at film and, and assess what they have and what, you know, their strengths and weaknesses are. And then they can add in some other things that, that maybe they didn't want to show in the first week. So if it's not, a little bit more opened up this week. I, I understand, and especially if they lose, then that yeah, there's going to be even more concern, and people are going to be talking about Mike McCarthy should take over play calling and all this stuff. Like that's going to come. But as of right now, like I'm not surprised that it that they were vanilla in that first game. I just don't think they wanted to to do a lot of, uh, you know, do. I mean, and like KT brought up bringing out Terrence Steele, like they were limited on big plays in the passing game because of that. And so you're going to have few opportunities. So when you do have those opportunities, you have to hit on them and. They did on the Michael Gallup play, obviously, at the end of the game, and then that gets called back. I mean, just how much different the game looks if, if like, one or two plays hit, you know. Um, but that, it didn't surprise me that they were doing, like, a lot of the pre-motion stuff and that, especially because you got you got CeeDee Lamb out there, and he's playing the majority of snaps with his new team. And, and I don't know. I just think that they wanted to kind of see what they had first, evaluate, and then adjust as they go forward. But if this way, I'm completely wrong, though. If, if week two, it, it looks the exact same way. 
Yeah, well, Steve, here's my thing. I understand not throwing the book out. You're like, I understand kind of, hey, we're going to settle in here. We didn't have preseason games. I get all that. Uh, but I guess I would just lean just a little bit more in the other direction of maybe let's open it up just a little bit, little bit more in week one. A, because I think it saves you the headaches from pissing your entire fan base off because week one is an overreaction week, okay? Week two is you're never reacting to a week two game like you are the week one game. It's just how it goes. Did uh, anyone hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me get into this. Uh, Hold on. Um, I will say, um, depending on how this season goes, I'll reveal other things uh, that have that I've seen over the last weeks and months. But I'm keeping I'm keeping this I'm keeping this a little close to the vest right now. I'll 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 pick and choose my times. I'm going to reveal some of these things. But uh, let me just say, without getting any specifics, that. Mike McCarthy is not going to care what the fans think. Um, I think no, he's not. I think Jason Garrett, like he would never admit that he would care, but Jason certainly knew what the storylines were from week to week. It was very obvious in that, almost to the point where I remember we would come on this show and we would talk about how like they would almost try and overdo things because it didn't go well the last game, whatever it be, not running the ball enough. Next game they'd run the ball more, things like that. I don't get the sense at all that Mike McCarthy really cares about he that. He doesn't. Does Kellen? Kellen's calling plays. Everyone's mad at Kellen. I don't think people were mad at Mike McCarthy too much. You know, I think people are mad at Kellen. I think a lot of people are going, well, why did Kellen get brought back? I think that's happening. And did anyone feel better by the Aaron Rodgers comments that came out yesterday after that chart was going around on Twitter with the pre-snap motion list where the top 16 teams in the league of pre-snap motion, I think were 13 and three. And the, the bottom 16 teams who used pre-snap motion were 3-13. and 13. And Aaron Rodgers, in his media availability yesterday, said, quote, for a long time here, I didn't want any motion, and Mike didn't like motion. For us, it's now a part of our offense. And Green Bay was one of the top pre-snap motions. Obviously, they had a big offensive week. They put up 43 points. You see what I'm saying? Like, it's all it's – all, Coming to a head at once is what I'm saying. Just like analytics is a buzzword right now. Analytics maybe is not talked about around here for a month until we have another really, you know, big fourth down decision or something that could end up being what determines if you won the game or not. Yeah. Like yeah. it's all coming to a head is what I'm saying. Yeah. I feel, there's now a little bit of stress, stress and tension. Feels like the analytics talk from McCarthy. I mean, he even kind of joked about it in his opening presser. It's like, I didn't even watch every game i wanted the job like yes. i feel like maybe a lot of that i've oh man I've, i'm so into analytics now it's like my new focus i feel like a lot of that was because he knew that whoever hired him you know jerry mainly they want to go in a new direction and embrace that right going forward right they want an open-minded coach i mean time will tell kt we'll have to see like if mike mccarthy goes on it on a fourth down where conventional wisdom says don't go for it but the analytics say go for it right we had to one of those situations has to come up for us to be like all right this guy really is uh he's bought in and it's working you know i really think you're right like this is a buzzword right now and dan quinn talked about it in his press conference and analytics honestly they had several opportunities to that that analytics changed the game but honestly, in a negative way, this upcoming this this previous game, and he put it the best way I've heard thus far. And he's like, analytics is on tap, but it's not on top. It's part of the decision making for us. But I'm not gonna let it go ahead and overrule my in-game instincts. So I feel like that's the reality of the situation. He's probably being a little bit more candid than some than some of these coaches are, um, and fully relying on analytics versus you know maybe a combination of the two. 
I thought the best point I've heard all week was was by John when we did the podcast re, uh, reacting to the Rams loss. Was John said this is not about that one fourth and three decision. This is about coming in and setting the tone. And Mike McCarthy said that. You know, it's easy if you just read a couple of clips, but if you listen to everything McCarthy said, he said, "Look, if I need to pull back on it, I will. But we're going to go for it. I trust the offense." My issue with the analytics play was. Well, the analytics don't tell you that running the ball in third and six gives you a higher percentage of getting a first down. The analytics would tell you the opposite of that. That was my issue. But we don't need to nitpick Sunday night's game anymore, right? Um, now, I, I will say Well, I mean, that, we can talk about it because if that same scenario comes up Sunday, I don't know it's going to be that much different. Like, they love when Zeke gets five, six-man boxes. And if he's running and playing the way he did in that game where he was clearly the best offensive player, I don't know that they're going to do anything a lot different than that. And, and I don't think it would have been surprising if Zeke happened to barrel through there and get a first down. But the analytics would not tell you that on third and six. And if that's your play after the game, as you were doing what the analytics said, then I need that to be true. And this is what this has been my tough. God, this was my issue with him before we got here. And again, I think he will be a good coach and I think he will stack up a lot of wins here this year. But my issue with him is Mike McCarthy could just lie about what happened or not tell the full truth and it not be like discussed to just be like accepted. Okay. But if you're going to use analytics and that's what you're telling me is what you were going with on fourth and three. Well, that's not what you were doing on third and six. So I, I just, it needs to be true all the way, but he skates out of that crap. Yeah, that's not going to happen. He's done here. it for years. I've mm. seen it. Yeah. You that's, not happen here? that's not happening here. And John, honestly, I think you bring up a great point. I think at the end of the day, you can't just base analytics off of one week. The, the the point with analytics is the sample size. It's the regression to the mean. Like your analytics tell you what the mean and the majority of the standard for when you when this action happens, like what your result can be. But you have to have a large enough sample size for it to truly reflect the analytics at hand. And so, yeah, you're going to win some, you're going to lose some. Uh, and it could you know, air a little bit more on the losing some on the upfront or on the back end, but ultimately it'll even out. It just could be a kind of a painful process for you to fully regress to that true mean of the standard for the stat line that you're looking at. And and I don't know what the answer to this is, but I would, I'd like to know what the analytics say on, on these plays. What's the difference in percentages if Terrence Steele's my right tackle or it's Lyle Collins? Like I, I just, that has to be a factor. Or Aaron Donald in the game. Yeah. Right. You know, um, you know, one thing that's interesting about these franchises, aside from the fact that they built these huge stadiums, um, is that, you know, it feels like the Cowboys are in this kind of long purgatory of like 25 years. The Falcons are in this purgatory of like since the Super Bowl. And now like they were debating on whether to fire Dan Quinn and they just stormed back and finished six and two last year. So they get back in the mix. And looking at their defense – um, man, they've got some some pretty good names, and they got some action on Russell Wilson. They got three sacks on Russell Wilson last week. Tack McKinley had six hits on Russell Wilson last week. He hit him six times. Remember old Tack McKinley? Remember when the Falcons traded in front of us to go get Tack McKinley? A great draft. Great draft video. Uh, was it his grandma there or something? Uh, or he dedicated it to his grandma who had passed or something? It was very memorable. Memorable draft yes. experience for Tack McKinley. Yeah. Takarist McKinley, and, I should say. 
And we took a taco that year, I believe, instead of ah, TJ Watt. We still, won't have to still go paying there. dividends. How'd so that work good. out for us? <laughs> Not good. Jeez. Can I bring back another bad Cowboys memory? Tack McKinley's six hits on Russell Wilson are the most quarterback hits on a quarterback since Adrian Claiborne hit oh. Dak Prescott six times. Back Sacked in Dak Prescott, not hit. I think he got well, he full yeah. on sacks. <laughs> full sacks. Um, Honestly, it was a miracle that Dak walked off the field that game. I was like fully convinced that we were going to have to get a stretcher or something. That was so painful in all the ways. I think that's the most bad I've ever felt for a player before was that game and then going into the locker room after that game and Chaz Green having to face the media after that game. And yeah. I, think, I mean, he did it. That's got to be the worst feeling ever. Is Okay, we pretty much lost this game because of you. How do you feel, you know? And um, it's tough. And but, we just yeah. got done like, with a quarterback who was very, very fragile, and we bring in this new guy who everyone has all these high hopes for, and then we basically like let him get murdered on the field. And- well, I mean, the thing about that game was, was Garrett was just – criticized incessantly for not changing anything i mean the guy had given up four sacks and they still kept him in there like i mean they tried to move things around a little bit but it never got any better i mean they didn't do much to to help him to help dak that game um but one note on the falcons kt gotta bring up those uniforms i mean come on oh i was i was thinking that you were gonna say the kicker i was thinking i was waiting for you to talk about the kicker's name oh you're talking about young hoku that's I don't know if that's how you pronounce it. it. I love it. That's my guy, Young Hoku. We needed yeah, Young Hoku that. to be in the league. Do you like the uniforms? I, I do not. I don't. I don't. Hmm. I don't know why. I don't know why they go in a back. You know, I don't like the gradient. Teams need to stop. No more gradient, guys. Um, no more abbreviations. No more ATL. Um, no more matte helmets. It's just like it reeks of desperation to me for a to try to be hip and cool and sell sell shirts to the youths, right? Just do a classic, nice, timeless look. I don't know why more teams don't embrace that, uh, especially the Falcons. And I think the Falcons logo sucked, so they changed everything but the logo on the new uniforms. And um, I think they should, should have brought back the uh, the red helmets, old logo. It's one of my fa- Maybe my favorite NFL uniform ever is the old Falcons red helmet striped with the white jerseys. Uh, Look, love that. They should have just gone like full Patriots and taken their color rush and made it a part of their actual uniform rotation. Yeah, I mean, I don't mind the all black. I think that could be a good look, but I just don't like the... I mean, this is kind of what Tampa Bay did a few years ago with like the digital numbers, and they just went so far into this thing. And then you go back, and the Jaguars too, and now they're back to something normal because they realized after time, it's like, wow, this really, really looks bad. Let's do something Yeah, But yeah, so prepare your eyes for the... uh, the ATL on Sunday at uh, AT&T Stadium. Are the Cowboys going to be in the in the whites or the blues? I think they're only in the blues twice this year, right? And they were already in them last week. The Seafoams. Seafoam color rush. Kelsey, Kelsey, talk to us about that. Uh, Kelsey had a, a controversy on her show C- where... Seafoam. Um, idiot who shall be nameless. Yeah, an uh, idiot. David Hellman um, actually said, suggested... And he he can come on here and defend himself at some point. 
Dave. No, 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 no. Or argue this about is, it. Hold on, himself. He won't win the debate. But no, no, no. I put this on like it's almost like him saying that is like one of those like Skip Bayless takes where you're just yeah, like, it is. It's just it better really if you is. pretend you like it doesn't exist. You don't want to throw gas on that fire because that's what that person wants. They're completely wrong. So just don't even just let them be wrong by themselves. Don't give them a chance to speak on it. So we had talked about this a few years. Uh, I mean, a few months ago uh, about the uniforms. And the seafoam. We had had this talk on the podcast. And so here comes Kelsey and Dave talking on their show about Dave suggesting, oh, the Cowboys need to embrace the seafoam and just go color rush seafoam. Seafoam jersey with the, the seafoam pants. I think that is the might be the worst idea I've ever heard for, for the Cowboys. Sorry, Dave. <laughs> go, Kelsey. I got unwillingly dragged into this and I have yet to escape. I did not know what I was getting into when I even remotely engaged in this conversation, but Cowboys Twitter is lit up over this seafoam debate. And for something that was literally put into place because of a lack of HD color TV screens, I mean, like, let's be honest about what it is. And um, no, we're not, like, no color rush. That's not happening. And why would you, why would you ruin such an iconic uniform like that's what this team is known for don't touch it it doesn't need it that's ridiculous that's that's absurd stop the madness i'm with you john i there's no way dave actually believes that that would look good i i, I don't i don't buy that and you're in a, and yeah he's into the skip territory dave come on in dave's defense we're talking about a guy who got a tiger tattoo on his forearm yeah and, and, and an LSU tiger tattoo. And I think even him, I think even he would agree that it was an impulse buy just coming off the high of the national championship. <laughs> I think around the time buy. we were doing the draft show, I think he was maybe okay with it. I think, uh, I think now he's kind of like, uh, yeah, you know what? You know, our coach just has basically gone out and said our whole team got coronavirus. And Honestly, if you really want to really dive in, you kind of say that it looks like they all kind of got it on purpose so they can kind of be ready to go go play football. I'm not saying that happened, but it seems like that might have happened. He deserves uh, that Linehan offense, so enjoy. <laughs> well, hopefully they're well, not doing – go ahead, Kate. KT, before we hit predictions here, I need to take a quick timeout so you can hear from our friend Shiel Kapadia. This is the Athletics Shiel Kapadia here to tell you about Liquid IV – Nobody likes to feel dehydrated. Maybe you get a little bit of a headache, dry mouth. You just don't feel like yourself. But believe it or not, dehydration still occurs daily in three out of four people. With Liquid IV, you have the fastest, most efficient way to stay hydrated. Each serving helps you get as much hydration as two to three bottles of water. Maybe you use it after a really intense workout. Maybe you went out socially distanced with friends and had a couple extra beers the night before. That's where Liquid IV comes in. It is healthier than those sugary sports drinks, no artificial flavors or preservatives, and less sugar than an apple. Plus, it contains five essential vitamins, more vitamin C than an orange, and as much potassium as a banana. And Liquid IV is on a mission to change the world. Liquid IV is donating 3.7 million servings in response to COVID-19. Products are being donated to hospitals, first responders, food banks, veterans, and active military. Liquid IV is available nationwide at Costco and Target, or you can get 25% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use code ATHLETIC at checkout. That's 25% off anything you order when you use promo code ATHLETIC at liquidiv.com. 
Get better hydration today at liquidiv.com, promo code ATHLETIC. She gets some 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 predictions here. For this, yeah, so uh, last this week game. John got the uh 2421 Dallas John. So John, uh you take the loss there, right? Oh, so you're oh, yeah. 0 and 1. Kent had 2821 Rams. So Kent gets the win. He's 1 and 0. I had the Rams winning 41 to 38. So if they had gotten to play maybe four more quarters, maybe they would have gotten there. <laughs> Good point differential but there. <laughs> but I'll take the win and go 1 0. Um, if you get the score right, you get a bonus point this year, right? You get a bonus win. And our guest last week, Mike Reiner, had Dallas winning that one 30 to 24. So he will take the loss as well for our guest pick. So, Kelsey, you are our guest this week. What is your Cowboys prediction? Um, all right. So I'm just looking at – I'm a little concerned with the Atlanta – D line, but I feel really good about our odds against this secondary. You've got a couple, a, a key guy, um, you know, in Kendall Sheffield who's out. Um, I think they really abused uh, Oliver and targeted him. And you know, with AJ Terrell, I think he has potential, but he's new. So I feel good about and this the, the safeties. Like, yeah, they're they're okay, but I feel good about our matchups in in that regard. So. I'm going to go ahead and say, let's say 34-31, also acknowledging the fact that I feel like we have similar uh, opportunities to be exposed on the defensive side of our secondary and the side of the Cowboys ball. So um, 34-31 is my guess, and Greg the Leg knocks in two for us. Analytics actually goes in our favor this game, and uh, the Cowboys take the win. Let's go over to Kent. Yeah, I think the Cowboys bounce back on this one. I still don't think the defense holds the Falcons to 17 or less points or anything like that. So um, I'm taking Dallas, getting back on track. Um, I think we're going to have a multiple touchdown game from one of the receivers, either Amari or Michael Gallup. So count on two from one of those guys. I'm going Dallas 31, Falcons 24. All right. Um, I will go and then we'll let John finish it off. I have 34-24 Cowboys winning. I don't think the Falcons are going to be able to cover anybody. I think the Cowboys have way too many weapons, um, even with just the big three, even with Jarwin being out. I think they have an opportunity to run the ball, too. And Grady Jarrett's a really good player. But aside from that, they don't have a lot of game changers uh, when it comes to stopping the run. Um, Deion Jones, good in pass coverage. Obviously, Dante Fowler and, and Tack McKinley, can give a little pressure on the outside, but I, I think they're going to have time to throw it. And I really feel like it's going to be a big game. I actually think CD lamb is my guy for multiple touchdowns. So just to there you have go. a little fun and go the other direction, 34, 24 Cowboys for me, we've all got the Cowboys in the thirties here. John, what is your pick? Yeah, I'm going Cowboys 27, 24. Um, I will say that I don't see how the pass rush doesn't get more than one sack They They have to be better in this game. And I think that they will be, um, offensively I, I just I'm not saying that they didn't that they weren't fired up for the season opener but I like that Mike McCarthy used the word honeymoon because that's a good way to describe how I felt like how training camp was it was kind of like hey man we're loaded we got all this talent look at that look at the paper look at all this talent we have on paper we're gonna be fine we're going these games we'll be just fine now that they've kind of got kicked in the teeth a little bit 
and then the fact that they're going to come home, there are going to be some fans there. I just see them juiced up, and I think that impacts like the entire team. And so because of that, I think the offense performs better. Not that they, I thought that they were really particularly awful in, in, in the opener, but I think they're even better in this one. And I just think the pass rush is better. Uh, you know, I, I think Alden Smith gets another sack. I think Demarcus Lawrence gets a sack. I think they get at least three sacks in this game. And uh, I don't know. I, I will say this. If, if they lose this game, though, it could get real messy because uh, it's not like I, I'm not one of these guys that looks at the schedule in advance and goes, oh, this is an easy win. This is an easy win. Like there really aren't a ton of easy wins. And if you don't want to be trending in that wrong direction. So I think they know that. And I think that's being emphasized in practice how badly they don't want to go 0 and 2. So I'll get them. I can't go quite in the 30s quite yet. I don't think that they're ready to hit on that yet. So I'll go 27 24. You know, and on the other end, though, I mean, like in Atlanta, there's there's already scuttlebutt of Dan Quinn getting fired quickly if things go bad for them. So, look, it's, it would just be an 0-2 start for whoever loses this game. But I agree with you that it could get ugly. If you look ahead real quick before we get out of here, it is Seattle in week three, and then the Cowboys are going to have the Browns in week four. The Browns will be on Thursday night football, so everyone will get a chance to see the Browns up close and personal in the Baker versus Burrow Bowl on Thursday night football. That's uh that's coming up uh, in the weeks ahead. So there, there we have it. We'll have Cowboys Falcons noon on Sunday at AT&T stadium. Make sure you go check out John's piece on Alden Smith. It's uh, just been filed and up at the athletic. And if you're a new subscriber, go to the athletic.com slash about them Cowboys for your 40% discount. If you're a first time subscriber and also go check out Kelsey Charles, Chelsea, go ahead and promote your platforms and what you're up to. Yeah, thanks. Um, you can find me. I'm over on SB Nation. I've got Girls Talking Boys twice a week. Um, also on the Star at Night over on DallasCowboys.com platforms and on Fox Sports Southwest on Wednesday nights at 6 p.m. And, of course, if you're interested in some crazy all-caps madness on game day you can follow me on twitter at kelsey underscore charles so wait and how do you how do you have time to do all this stuff if you're going to school right now you're working and then you do this on this side where do you find time for all this listen um luckily i'm very single so uh <laughs> i fill my time <laughs> with all of the extracurricular activities <laughs> kelsey's also um started a charity locally too ERDFW.com. I think if you want to donate to that, um, doing some social justice uh, uh, things, and yeah, it's doing a doing a really good job, and you know, keep up the good work, Kels. We'll we'll love, Collecting love to some have cats you. in the interim. You know, all the things. Yes, yes, all the things, and wanted to definitely have you on to promote the start night i know um a lot of work goes into that shout out to those people over there caden and dave and all those people making that show happen and be sure and check that out fox sports southwest here locally or online of course well we'll be back kt after the game i think on sunday night yeah we had noon game so we'll uh, record this thing on sunday evening we'll have instant cowboys falcons reaction also go stars for kent garrison our Heck producer yeah. For Father John Machoda, for our special guest, Kelsey Charles, I'm Kevin K.T. Turner, and we'll see you next time on another edition of About Them Cowboys. Yeehaw!